0: welcome to the virtual podcast it's great to have you with us this is the podcast from the platform connecting the community with founders industry experts and startup greats with over $190 million raised across 240 successful campaigns, we certainly know a thing or two about capital raising. But remember, the information and discussion in this podcast is for informational purposes and should not be considered as advice or a recommendation to invest. So please do your own research and always consider to the General CSF Risk Warning and Offer Document Before Investing. And today we welcome Adam Guskitch, the CEO and one of the founders at MediGrowth, a leading Australian medical cannabis company, which took the virtual platform by storm. They raised a massive $3.4 million here on the virtual platform just a few months ago. And today's catch-up is all about hearing how that actual raise was for Adam and the team, what it was like and how they nailed it so successfully, and not to mention what they've been up to since, including his trips over to the US, learning about the different products over in the United States and the Canadian market, and we also get to catch up and get an insight onto what's happened with the medical trials, which hold such promise and such an opportunity for many growth here in Australia and potentially globally. Let's dive straight in. Thanks so much for joining us. Adam. Welcome to the virtual podcast. Thank fab you. to have you here. Thank you very much. Great to be here. It's fab to have you. So a bit of a dreary day here in Melbourne, but certainly not a dreary story when it comes to many growth in terms of the success you had last year on the platform. But we want to focus the conversation today really around you know, what comes next. It's really obviously it was a huge fanfare of success and you did an extraordinary job in terms of your raise. Before we dive into you know what 2024 looks like for you, how was the raise for you upon reflection? It's been a few months now. So yeah, what are your kind of top takeaways from it?
1: Absolutely. Look, the raise was an incredible ride. And I remember some of the advice we had from the virtual team, you know, just as we started to launch into the early stages was that, you know, really it is quite an intense period for yeah. founders. And I think that is uh, some very critical advice. It was a very intense period, yeah. uh, a huge amount of preparation, huge amount of work that went into all facets but we did get a great result and it's really allowed us to to push forward into into 24 with a a very strong position
0: if we can talk the real reality of it like how much other business was getting done whilst you were in the race was it just full focus for a short period or how long how did you kind of actually find it
1: look we certainly crammed uh, many, many hours into a 24-hour period right. uh, wearing our MediGrowth hat. So we did have business as as usual, but we were very well prepared in terms of the work that we'd done prior to hitting the go button on launch day. Yep. So we felt we were quite well positioned, notwithstanding that we, we then spent a lot of time in terms of investor engagement and, and really just comms with investors and potential investors during that period as well.
0: Okay, cool. And just For my understanding, like what was the lead-in to it? Like it sounded like you obviously knew you were going to be raising capital. Like what kind of time frame did you allow to prepare and and that kind of thing?
1: Yeah, look, we we'd been um, preparing probably for some time in terms of just uh, a a broad sort of conversation with with the team at Birchall, and then really a few months prior, we started to work towards just putting our offer document together and uh, and a host of Collateral and assets that were were all part of the raise. So cool. realistically, probably you know, a pretty intense sort of three month period prior to, alongside business as usual.
0: It's a big, it's a big ask, isn't it? It's a big ask of founders when you've got a lot going on. You know, like it's um, I hear a lot of founders talk about how it's like a, you know, it's a whole new job. You have to take on as, as the founder, you know, the, the business, and then there's the capital raise. The, upon reflection, like how did you find navigating a community versus trying to pitch? One venture capitalist or a couple of you know highly sophisticated experts in the in the cannabis space, say
1: yeah, look, just a very interesting process. I think having having very clear messaging in our pitch video, for example, I think that gives you that scalability of voice to mm. to really communicate your vision to to a whole community out there uh so we I actually found the, the process very enjoyable because we did engage with a lot of people, a lot of investors, a lot of potential investors. And build a very good community to support MediGrowth. So I think that was really important as part of the part of that sort of um, strategy moving forward to to have some brand awareness and and a community around us.
0: Do you think your type of business suits a community funded raise?
1: I think it does. Uh, it's a yes and no answer. I mean, in in a way, there's two divisions to our business, and there's the very community focused and patient driven side of the business, and then there's the clinical side of the business. So they they are somewhat different worlds, but certainly the patient focused and distribution side of the business uh, relies on um, very much that that patient first approach.
0: Yep. I'm intrigued. Post raise, you know, you raised three point four million. If I'm not uh, sorry, if I'm if I'm correct, no, that's correct. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And I I saw recently, you know, you've spent some time popping over to the US. Obviously huge market in terms of this cannabis play. So for those who are less familiar, just give us a short intro to Medigrowth in terms of what your positioning is and, and the type of business you actually
1: Yeah. We've now been around for, well, we, we've uh, incorporated the business in very late 2017. So we have been around for a number of years and we weren't the first, but we are probably within a very early cohort of, of businesses that were in the space here in Australia. So our business uh, has evolved like many in the space over time. And really where we're at today is a, uh, a distribution-based um, supply business. So we have a number of medicinal cannabis products available to, to Aussie patients and we have an R and D side of the business as well, so uh, a very strong collaboration with Deakin University, uh, who we've worked closely with on a number of projects. Cool.
0: And so you're you're trying to be the what would be a comparative in terms of maybe a different different sector. You, you're trying to be the, the Colgate of the um, of medicinal cannabis, or. <laughs>
1: Well, it's an interesting space. I think the truth is, in a rapidly evolving landscape and yeah. new industry, uh, it's a non-linear path. So our pathway has had many turns, you know, since inception. I think where we're trying to position ourselves now is is a recognised brand leader in the medicinal space. Okay. So we would like to uh, ensure that doctors are aware of our our brands and our mission. Uh, and hopefully that reflects in great outcomes for patients. And probably secondary to that, then you've got the R&D side of the business that probably is a little, a little bit more pharmaceutical approach. So yep. ultimately there's ambition to have um, products registered under a, a pharmaceutical landscape that have a, a cannabis or cannabinoid uh, formulation.
0: It sounds like a lot of money, right? Three and a half mil. And it, and it's not an insignificant number, but in the pharmaceutical world, it's like a drop in the ocean, right? Correct, yeah. And everything, as I and I'm no expert in this space, but everything and trying to get it legalized, trying to get it um, to a point where you're, yes, yeah, certifiable, like, "quote unquote," safe or whatever that is. That that sounds like a horribly expensive um, process. <laughs> would that be would that be fair? Look, certainly the traditional clinical trial pathways
1: to register any medicine, whether it's cannabis-related or otherwise, is an incredibly lengthy and expensive process. Um, The reality for medicinal cannabis in Australia, currently it's a um, a special access scheme or unapproved medicine, so there are pathways for patients to access those medicines, and there's a lot of data uh, already established in Australia for CBD, for example, to be actually an incredibly safe Medicine and, and very efficacious and and proving therapeutic benefit for a lot of patients. Yep. Um, I think on the flip side, the pathway to that clinical approach definitely longer term, bigger bigger bank book and likely um, you know partnerships and and more funding required for you know really pushing into that landscape.
0: So it's a very collaborative space by the sounds of things. It's not just like Medigrowth going on their own, charging it through, the, and having to take it all on. Is that is that right? I mean, absolutely.
1: To that? Yeah, I think industry wise, there's a lot of collaboration uh, and a lot of interest from government and university on the, the research and and R and D landscape. So, okay, uh, we've been uh, found a very receptive audience to to our endeavours to engage both government and and university to try and really push forward to, to get that clinical data set that really most doctors want to see.
0: Right. And is that data set what turns medical people around when it comes to like the, the quote-unquote stigma of this space?
1: I think absolutely doctors and medical professionals love to see clinical data because that's yeah. really their training basis. That's yeah. how they, they, they learn to prescribe medicines with a clear uh, indication and a clear medicine for, for that indication. Um, so yes is the answer, but equally we're seeing a lot of doctors t- come around purely from experience where they're prescribing medicinal cannabis hmm. and seeing genuine results for people that cool. often they haven't seen in the, the traditional pharmaceutical landscape. So we've had a number of experiences like that.
0: And one criticism often thrown at the medical system is that it's not about wellness, it's about kind of what's the word? Just kind of stopgap, almost kind of band-aid solutions. Um, and to hear something's a good example, right? It doesn't actually solve your um, hay fever. Yeah. Just stops you feeling the symptoms, which is, I guess, helpful in the short term, but that never really kind of solves the real core of the issue. So would you th- Does cannabis, as I understand it, kinda has the ability to actually heal as well, right? It's more can touch into wellness? Am I on the right lines or not? I think
1: there's definitely a crossover into that holistic wellness scenario for many medicinal cannabis patients. And again, there's a host of different uh, formulations and compounds that fall into that medicinal cannabis world as well. So in various parts of the world, CBD, for example, very much is in the the wellness sphere. Uh, Here it's still a prescribed schedule four medicine. Um, so I think, you know, there's a clear place for both really clinical medicines and um, things that do fall or cross over into that holistic wellness as well.
0: Yeah. Okay. Cool. So tell us about the US. You went to Las Vegas, I think it was. Um, I always find it funny that we host conferences there. (laughs) (laughs) So first of all, how was your experience? Was that your first time there? No, it's actually my fourth time
1: to Vegas. Okay. Um, once many, many moons ago, uh, in some early world travels as a spectator and uh three three conferences now under the MediGrowth Growth Banner just to, to really engage and learn with what's happening in other parts of the world.
0: And do you go as an exhibitor or do you go as a what's the word? Uh just as a, a
1: delegate sort of in yep. in this case. So uh I mean it's a immense conference. I Would mean be. I can't think of the the square footage of the right. arena there, but uh, really three three days to sort of really try and walk through and you're only still touching the surface of, of wow. uh, the exhibitors. So it is a quite a, an amazing learning opportunity.
0: And that speaks to the size of the U.S. market in terms of it's not just medicinal use there, it's obviously the regulations are different. Just yep. for, I'm going to say it's the audience's benefit, but it's mainly mine. Yeah. Just tell me about the differences between the Australian market and the U.S. How does that vary? So
1: Australia is a purely medical market. Basically, any medicinal cannabis needs to be prescribed by a, a doctor or a medical professional uh, under either a special access scheme or those prescribers can be an authorized prescriber where they're uh, very au fait with certain conditions. Right. and They, they get a, a TGA approval basically to, to prescribe uh, under their discretion. In uh, North America or the state specifically, there's a... Um, adult use or recreational market that's legal as well. It's still not legal um, across the, the entire U.S. There are It is a state-by-state state positioning, <clears> so there are some states that still run on a medical model. Uh, but Vegas, for example, is a, a fully legal adult use market.
0: Okay. And because of those differences then, like who's exhibiting at this <laughs> conference? It must be, oh, I'm guessing it's not just bong pipes and... Um,
1: <laughs> no look everything from very uh, high-tech uh, cultivation and manufacturing okay. suppliers and and specialists uh, through to um, everything in the supply chain between so from packaging from uh, you know cultivation and uh, suppliers yep uh, and really as I say every step in the supply chain there's someone there to to chat to should you have an interest.
0: And for you, like how vertically integrated are you as a manufacturer? Are you buying, you've got land that you own, and you're cultivating it from there or how kind of...
1: So our uh, we're fully licensed by the Federal Office of Drug Control. So that was our early, early journey in the market here in Australia, which took nearly two years to um, achieve the, the ODC licensing back in 2018 right. sort of to 2019. Um. So in terms, we don't grow our own product. We're utilising cultivation partners for and manufacturing partners for product currently. Uh, We do have a research greenhouse that we work or have worked with Deakin University over time. Uh, So that's an asset that we do continue to engage with and and have you know opportunities with. Um, But we're finding for our model now really utilising cultivation partners that uh, can. Take the heavy lifting on on that work, and we can concentrate really on the the patient engagement.
0: Okay, cool. So, is that your point of difference? Would you say, because you're also we're closer to the patient side?
1: It's a little bit of crossover. I think having having great partners in cultivation and manufacturing ensures that we've got good products. Uh, and we're part of the virtual raise was to increase that product line. So we've yep. got opportunities for a broader range of indications and um, delivery and dose technologies. Um, so I think really our position allows us to focus on direct engagement with patients patients, uh, and longer term really on that R&D space that we see quite a big opportunity for as well. Okay. Well, what do you mean by that? Uh, well, for example, the um, autism trial the clinical trial that we're working with Deakin University on but right. that's uh, last year just finished up into its phase two uh, status so that's something that we're looking now into this year uh, really to push through to the next phase uh, ultimately with a obviously with the right outcome and the right data set but ultimately looking to to register those medicines as part of a, a TGA approval
0: so just talk us through that phasing what does phase one mean or what is that kind of, what does phase, phase one, two look like?
1: So those early phases are really fundamentally looking at safety and, right. and efficacy for patients. So looking at the dosing guidelines, uh, ensuring that you know the patients are tolerating the, the product yeah. well. And that data probably arguably already exists globally because CBD uh, has been recognized as yeah. a very safe Compound even by the uh, World Health Organization, so um, but nonetheless still needs to be fully verified through that process.
0: Okay, and so phase two is what the broader like it's like okay it's it's not gonna it's safe we figure out a certain level of dosage. What's phase two look? Phase two look like
1: so they then take that sort of a, it's a, a a dual phase like a double blind placebo controlled trial. So okay. they do a crossover trial where. Um, The kids in this case, they are five to 12-year-old kids, take um, placebo in in one journey, uh, active in the other. At the end of that um, nearly year-long period, as it turned out, just to uh, work through beginning to end with the crossovers and the break in between, by that stage, they've analysed both cohorts uh, and really have established that safety and, and efficacy across that phase one and two Phase three then really is just building on a bigger cohort of patients, okay. a bigger or wider demographic, uh, and often uh, multi sites.
0: And where you just on the patient piece, especially uh, maybe your first one is let's start with the headline. What's the key outcome you're seeing around autism? What's the, what's the benefit to someone who's autistic?
1: So, our trial. Uh, is looking at um, behavioural and neurodevelopmental um, challenges within uh, the autistic community, within that sort of age range, five to 12-year-old kids. So the outcome really that we're looking for there is uh, uh, decreased anxiety, um, uh, the parental stress indicators, so broadly as a family often there's a range of... um, Stresses that come with managing some of that behaviour, so yep. lower parental stress uh, scales, uh, mm-hmm. and just broader behavioural improvements in uh, autistic.
0: Okay, wow. That's um, actually I had a friend of mine who talked about his toddler who was using some sort of CBD oil yep. at bedtime. He said it was like it's like day and night in terms of the application of it um, between the child. So. Okay, so phase two, more sites, more uh, broader rollout. What's the kind of time frame on that in terms of the next step piece?
1: So those uh, protocols for phase three are currently being developed at present. Right. Uh, so that's really probably to the, to the middle part of this year. Still with some steps to go through. Uh, the approvals and the Human Research Ethics Committee and a, f- a few steps along that line. But okay. um, over the course of this year... Uh, we would be expecting that uh, all things considered, that should be coming into, into fruition.
0: And if that does come through, what does that open up for you? What's the market opportunity there?
1: Look, the the opportunity, it's incredible when you look at the stats on autism, both in Australia and globally. I mean, yep. it's, it's an issue. And I mean, even even... Anecdotally, in, in my own kids' school, I yep. can see it firsthand. When you look at you know a, a cohort of kids there um, that are still um, in a mainstream school, but often have uh, aides and carers that are working alongside them to to support. So, yep, um, we see a huge opportunity here in Australia, but globally, um, yeah, the market is is uh, a huge opportunity.
0: So, it sounds like with the given the medical oversight. Licensing, etc. Like it sounds like a, a nightmare, actually speaking. <laughs> it's
1: uh, certainly uh, there's a, a regulatory burden.
0: Uh, yeah, that, that, that's the more political PC way of putting it. So, but the opportunity there is that actually it could potentially open up global markets. Uh, is that right? Is that is that Mike? My... Absolutely, yeah. Okay.
1: and that's very much our intent. Really, we've looked at um, our sort of dual pillar business for having the the current distribution and um, unapproved medicine sales to very much uh, build a revenue pipeline to support uh, that really bigger picture opportunity, yeah. uh, which is you know, potentially those global markets for registered medicines.
0: Got you. Okay. And, and that would be wild, right, in terms of the size of that. And to be... Are you aiming... Like, are you trying to get a broader range of products or are you mainly interested on in just picking up like a few... Like, what's the segment you're going for?
1: So the, the autism um, came about because there was an existing relationship with, with Deakin and um, existing s- school of psychology and some um, global leaders in that, um, right. that area. So that was very much a, a good first base uh, of investigation. And cool. particularly uh, given the fact that CBD was the intent there, uh, was a good soft start just to introducing that clinical trial program Beyond that, we've, we're very interested in the uh, mental health space and um, oncology uh, for the next steps.
0: Let's talk headwinds for the industry more broadly. What do you see coming up for 2024 and, 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 and future? and Maybe what are you hearing from the U.S. partners as well, given that the, you know, the ticket size the investment over there is so significant? Um, can you... Actually, let me... Pause the macro. Let's just talk about micro for a second. You're like, as a developer or manufacturer down here in a small market, how do you feel about those bigger players out there? Do you feel like they're a threat? Do they feel like, are they kind of helpful because they're not going after the niches like yourself? Or
1: Look, I think there's... There's always competition. There's, yeah. there's always players doing, um, things that we're not privy to in, in a market. Uh, we, we feel very privileged to be a part of the Australian market because it is somewhat protected, uh, right. in comparison to other parts of the world. We've okay. got a, a CBD, um, industry, for example, that's still, um, prescription basis. Some would argue that's, you know, compared to other parts of the world where it's broadly more accessible. Um Some might argue that you know that is a little bit onerous, but it ensures that there's uh, full overs full medical oversight for patients and yep. I think it's just so important when you look at some of these kids, for example, that you know there's a whole host of intricacies that um patients need managed with with some professional oversight so I think the that little bit of um protectionism here for our our model here in Australia is yep. really interesting because it allows um there's some barriers to entry for overseas players. Not to say that, you know, look, already there are many here. It's a competitive landscape, but um, we see opportunity for companies like us to really propel based on the fact that we're we're collaborating locally. We've got great uh, university and government support. And we see that as a really important stepping stone to to try and then move beyond the borders in, in the coming years.
0: Okay, but really that like it's almost like a defensible moat, which is very helpful as you're getting bigger and weighing for things to come through trials, et cetera. And then to uh yeah, so you can't get smashed straight away, as it were.
1: Exactly, yeah. yeah. And okay. it's a it's a head start. I mean, there are large multinational pharmaceutical companies that are very involved of in course. cannabinoid medicine. Um some of those, with you know, notably with uh, multiple sclerosis and right. rare forms of childhood epilepsy, for example, those companies that have been able to um, bring out the clinical data set are now in a in an incredible position uh, based on uh, those very defendable uh, and and quite unique medicines for often quite unique indications.
0: Cool. Okay. Interesting. So let's go macro then. So. Headwinds for the industry, biggest challenges. What do you think 2024, 2025 brings?
1: It's an interesting one. I mean, there's been because we have been around now for many years, and we've seen a lot of players in the market. We've seen a lot of the early ASX and and global uh, public markets with uh, you know quite a bullish sector, yeah. and you know then there, there was certainly a downturn in terms of the public. Um, involvement in some of those companies, so I think ongoing in in the the industry broadly, there's a a capital headwind uh, for okay. for those companies that need significant capital to to keep operating. Again, we feel we're very well positioned in that um, landscape because we're not um, bound by the huge capex that some of those uh, bigger players and um, organisations are are trying to sort of keep within
0: fundamentally so and why are they so what why you mean from an expense piece or they're just well, set up differently or? yeah many of those players
1: um have um huge cultivation greenhouses for example okay. that, you know um just just in terms of the the okay. day overheads yeah. on day month week and and annually uh we're a very lean operation lean team um not to say you know we are certainly scaling and building but we, we are fortunate not to, to be in that situation where we're, we're bound by, by those overheads.
0: And are you seeing those companies start to lay people off? Because I know that was a key part of your raise, right? You wanted to bring in and build out that, that team of yours. Yeah. So you're seeing that really as a potential opportunity, bringing some of that expertise from those companies as they start to.
1: Look, there's a, a great skill set out there, and it's a very uh, nuanced skill set in the medicinal cannabis industry. Yeah, I it's can certainly. Imagine. There's a crossover from traditional pharmaceutical, uh, but there's a steep learning curve even for pharmaceutical uh, executives and professionals as well. Why is that? uh, Just a a learning curve probably on uh, the nuances of um, the varying medicines and varying medicinal cannabis where they don't have that um, data spec sheet that you can almost um, go in and and sort of present by rote. It's this, 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 and this. I think there's a huge education piece for doctors um that has to come into play with medicinal cannabis that potentially doesn't quite work the same in in traditional pharma yep. because of that sort of um evidence data okay um so yeah, I think looking at some of those people out there from our perspective uh we're a growing team we're looking for amazing people to to cool. come on, along the
0: journey with us. Okay. And out of interest, what's the labor market like at the moment for trying to find these super niche specialized... It sounds pricey. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it's an interesting uh, proposition. I mean, we're incredibly excited by building our team. We've yeah. been founder-led, have worn many hats uh, for now many years. So bringing on expertise is really exciting. And, you know, we're trying to uh, really find the... The expertise alongside the culture fit and, you know, everyone tells yeah. me that that's so important in, in that sort of labor market because yeah. there are some incredible people out there, but they need to be able to work alongside us and, and, have, and share the vision, which is really our, our job now to try and find those people.
0: And it may be it's too early to say, but how is it going? Like, how are you actually finding the that, – that, was the US trip part of that?
1: Uh, not so much on, on finding uh, staff, um, that was more yeah um, product and, and procurement and, and learnings, so I guess, from that part of the world. Uh, we do have very good relationships in, in Canada because Todd, my business partner, is a, a longstanding Australian resident, but um, he's a, a Canadian expat oh, uh, from forever ago, 25 what, years yeah. or so back. Um, so we do have a, good, a very good network in that part of the world and okay. uh, we probably will bring on someone uh, in the short term that will add, uh, yeah, some uh, um, some expertise that from that part of the world may help us as well.
0: Because I'm guessing given the nicheness, the, you'd be looking to these external markets as a labour pool to bring in expertise you might not be able to bring to the party or or, or not perhaps like? So.
1: Well, I think in, certainly in the cultivation world, uh, okay. that, that would be very... Relevant. Yep, and I know uh, just from the industry here that that's been um, certainly a, a challenge for a lot of the cultivators to to find and or train the relevant expertise in a very um, nuanced uh, industry on cultivation. It's not growing tomatoes, is what everyone keeps telling me. I mean, it's a very specialised <laughs> skill set, Good. Uh, and often to do it. Uh, on a small scale, is vastly different to doing it in a five-acre greenhouse, for example. So I think that's the challenge that globally is still there and that's what even in Canada that a lot of the early players saw that they had um, head cultivators that were very experienced growers, small scale coming from a grey or a black market, um, could grow amazing product but then couldn't replicate that in
0: scale. Got you. And I guess that's going to be your like in terms of purity of products, so like that's going to be a ma- like a major potential kind of choke point to your to your growth, I would imagine. Is that right? Well, the consistency
1: of supply yep. is incredibly important. So, firstly, the, the quality of the product, the uh, active components, and and potency of the of the product are all integral to have that consistency. But then the supply itself is is integral because yeah. often patients are, are having a result, uh, have been on a medication for, in many cases, many months or, or more. Uh, and if, if, uh, if supply runs out, it's not as easy as just finding another product because of all the, the nuances in dried flour, for example, there's a whole host of different potencies, cannabinoids and, and others that can really make the difference.
0: And as I understand it, this would be quite significantly different from pharmaceuticals because it's all drug-based, it's all artificial compounds, etc. Is that fair? It's definitely fair
1: on, on the flower side. It, it's a a, a a unique product to grow yeah. and the, um, the reality is that not every batch comes out the same as the last, even under the same conditions. There are um, fluctuations in, um, in active, um, cannabinoids. So, um, looking at how that's managed can be quite a challenge for, for cultivators.
0: Sounds a bit like tomatoes, but I <laughs> uh, I I mean, a little <laughs> bit like tomatoes. <laughs> so maybe the analogy or the, um, the similarities that there's, there's more than you might, there's it, the, yeah, it appears, but the, um, okay. So it sounds like a big year in terms of what's coming up. You're hiring a big team. You've got you – know you're cashed up, which is, which is excellent. Do you think we might see you again here at virtual in terms of for future raises? And on what kind of timeframe do you see you might need capitalization again or how are you thinking about that?
1: Well, certainly keeping a close eye on those opportunities and, and really looking at over the course of this year just um, narrowing down on, on – our commitments as part of the raise yeah. and ensuring that we've really worked towards those commitments. And already, you know, in the in the last few months, we've really pushed forward on a host of the, the initiatives that were part of our use of funds. So we're working hard to ensure that that use of capital is deployed um, as intended, yep. smartly and, and for a result. And at some point, uh, likely there will be another raise. It's really just a matter of sort of probably scaling out over the first six months of this year and just having a few things in place to look at how, how have our launches gone for our new products, for example, um, at what point have we built a, a team, uh, which is going to start with probably you know some sales people to drive the, the revenue and the education piece for, yeah. for the products and for the, for the prescribers. So I think to answer the question over the course of this year, um, potentially we could be having another chat and just seeing... Cool. But really what we need to do to continue to grow and that's the intent that we want to ensure that we're not in a position where we're uh, we have great plans but we don't have the capital.
0: Yeah, sure. And I think it's um you know, as much as the headwinds around capital are gonna be a constraint for some. I feel like it's an opportunity for others. And I feel like you've got a strong base. Um like we were I was talking to Emily just before in terms of the response from the community. I think it was around two thousand people who took part of you know, part of your raise. So yeah it's um Obviously, it's a, it's a great response. Um, they obviously back your model, and they can see a lot of promise in it. So, yeah, very exciting times for medigrowth in terms of... Um, and a sector which, you know, it's got applications, as, as you said, if you can reduce anxiety, well, that's like, you know, massive, massive.
1: Yeah, for sure. And uh, the interesting thing was even yeah. throughout the, the virtual campaign, the engagement with a lot of the in- investors uh, was that many of those were investing because they'd seen firsthand... How incredible um, you know the, the product can be. Um, so we've had a number of investors that you know I've had personal conversations with that they're investing because they believe in the product. They want to support the industry broadly, as you say, they liked our model and um, saw the opportunity as an investment. But I think beyond that, uh, there is a big community that really wants to drive home uh, taking that stigma away from yeah. cannabis and just. Like it is in some other parts of the world, have it really deemed to be something that shouldn't be stigmatised and does have a, a a real place in in medicine.
0: Yeah, interesting. It's um, yeah, such so it's got it's like a it's got such potential, right? And I think if you can get past the uh, the legalisation piece or the you know the kind of antisocial piece, maybe. But um, yeah, it sounds like a really like a blue ocean. say in some regards of opportunity and in terms of in terms of wellness for people. So, Adam, it's been um, awesome to have you on here. Thank you so much for coming in to this really wet and miserable day here in Melbourne. But My it might, pleasure. Might be beautiful sunshine by the time we leave, who knows. And um, yeah, thanks so much. We're really excited to follow the journey of many growth and um, thanks for using the virtual platform. Uh, just maybe want to leave, what would be your one token or a piece of advice to a founder considering raising capital on the platform and or even just raising capital period, perhaps? What would be your, your nugget?
1: I think it would be be prepared and uh don't underestimate the uh, the power of the offer document and and the complexity of an offer document to really uh ensure investors are um fully educated on your mission because we found it a really interesting process we've had uh offer documents before and uh we have pitched before but really getting that concise out, out of my head or our collective heads onto paper to ensure that somebody that doesn't know anything about our business yeah. can quickly understand the model yeah. uh, is actually a lot harder than it may seem.
0: For sure. And just on that preparation piece, so it took you three months, you said, Is but it sounds like you've been really kind of working on that since you started in terms of solidifying what the offer is and point of difference, et cetera.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I think it's interesting just how how the, the journey continues to evolve and really from from the early stages in in an industry where there was really no industry (laughs) no patients and companies that were unlicensed and really no different to us or really just trying to trying to sort of find their place in a new industry Uh, that's been part of our journey to say well where do we want to sit in an industry and that has evolved really over time Uh, originally back in 2017 we were Applying for licences, really with intent to to cultivate uh, and to manufacture, and we do still have uh, ambitions for manufacturing. We are fully licensed. We do have a greenfield site. We've got very strong support for that site. Um, but ultimately, you know, you you flex with the opportunities yeah. that you're given, and uh, we've worked with with the capital available to us as well, and we feel that that's put us in a pretty good position to to really come into the market in 2024 when the market is actually really there where there wasn't much of a market back in 2017, for example.
0: Yeah, it takes a long time, doesn't it? It's, um can be painful in your bleeding-edge type of personality.
1: <laughs> well, nothing happens quickly enough, <laughs> yeah. uh, and that still happens today. I'm a, an incre- incredibly motivated person and incredibly uh, impatient person at the same time because as a founder you're always trying to make things happen quicker than probably is humanly possible but
0: continue to try. I feel like it's not dissimilar to growing a child or nurturing a child in some (laughs) regards because it's kind (laughs) of like I've got a three-year-old I'm just like come on like when can we go on a bike ride And you know just (laughs) like it's and it's that kind of impatience which you kind of have to go okay this is it's it's development trust the process it's okay so it's um I'm not sure if you would agree with that. Kind totally, of totally three, agree. So yeah, I'm. Um, what's yeah. I, I'm. Yeah, a mentee in this regard. Yeah. So, <laughs> it's a journey, and I keep reminding myself of that. When
1: you know we're looking at blocks of period, often I say to myself, "Oh, nothing's happening quickly enough." But every three months, or six months, or, or twelve months, you look back at what you've achieved over that time, and yeah. you actually realise you've achieved a huge amount. It's extraordinary. Yeah. Uh, so you know, I do remind myself of of that. That. Really, we need to look long-term, and your analogy on, on raising kids is exactly the same. There's a whole host of uh, different uh, tranches of kids' lives where you have to put the work in, and then you get to a, an outcome, and then you have to put more work in.
0: Yeah. Trust me. Yeah. Thanks very much, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, I think let's leave it there. It's been a pleasure to have you on. We'd love to have you back on, maybe down the track. Absolutely. Um, hear about progress and as things play out. Um, Very exciting times for many And yeah, thanks for being here, Adam.
1: Thank you, Michael. It's been, been a pleasure.